I think what they liked was that we were getting arts and culture information out to a rural area where people don't necessarily have the opportunities to experience those things in person. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reesmandel. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein. It's great to be here on Radio Survivor today. And so a topic we've discussed a few times here on the show has been this idea of community podcasting, uh, podcasts that are in service of a mostly local community's needs, you know, yeah. the parallel to community radio, we, but we, in podcast form. We came up with a word to describe it because the big picture idea of what podcasts are, are not hyper-local, community-focused programming. It's more um, general audience, national or even global audience-focused programming. It tends to be defined by this no- by like the uh, fame of serial, or people think of, of even shows like 99% Invisible. Or, or any e- other podcast for everybody. Right. It, 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 right. it tends to be this idea of a national. And, and of course... You know, if you are looking for podcasts and you look in something like Apple's iTunes or you look in Stitcher or you look yeah. in, in your lo- in your podcast app it, and you look for charts, you look for what's popular, what's trending, it tends to be something which has sort of national prominence, not something which might be doesn't, doesn't popular just tend in to your be, local area. Paul, it always is. Yeah. There is no app, there is no website or service that allows a local resident of a place to find out what podcast people in their place like the best. Right. I mean, the, the closest you'll come is to look at your local newspaper, maybe local, look at your local community or public radio station and see what they produce yeah. if they produce anything. Twitter used to have a, a, I don't know if they still do that, the just your city trending topics. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, but I don't, but no one's doing that for podcast charts. And what, what impact that has on listeners is that it's entirely possible that there's a podcast in your town focused on issues that matter to you that you haven't heard about because you would have no way to stumble upon it. But it's also entirely possible that really great podcasts that could exist haven't even been launched yet because people don't have a, re- have a notion in their head that podcasts can be about very specific small communities. They right. don't have to be... Or, or even large communities, invisible. you know, it yeah. could even be metroplexes, you know, of 10 million people, but yet that's different than something that might, right. that, that you're, that you're expecting that someone in Houston and someone in Chicago and someone in, in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, it's also going to, to want to listen to. And, and we're going to come at it from a different direction, but coming at it from community radio and, and, and talking today about uh, podcasts as a way for community radio stations to make their programming more accessible. So we're going to talk with Jill Mahler. She's the station manager of KPOV in Bend, Oregon. And she actually got a hold of us. She dropped us a line and said, you know, we're about to launch a program to really uh, kick up our podcasting, to uh, take our local community affairs talk programming and make it more accessible via podcasting. And they've got a whole plan. And, and, and I really wanted to share this with Radio Survivor listeners because to me, it sort of encapsulated this notion of community podcasting on the one hand, but also kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit. Because I think there's this tendency to either think about podcasting right as either as as, na- as default national and global, but also to think about it as automatic. So if you think about, you know, people might say, "Oh, I listen to uh, Terry Gross's Fresh Air," and I listen to it 
you know, whenever I want to, I go back and listen to last week's episode because it's a podcast. Isn't just a radio show automatically a podcast. And the fact is it's not. (laughs) And that, you know, at the very least, somebody has to record it and turn it into an MP3 and distribute it as a podcast through whatever means. But when you look at uh, sort of these top or more popular national radio shows that are also podcasts, a lot of work goes into preparing them to become podcasts and, and making them into something uh, which fits an on-demand uh, circumstance a lot better and might even appeal to somebody who isn't a public radio listener necessarily or isn't a radio listener at all, but would be interested in the content when delivered in this sort of digital on-demand space, which is podcasting. And so that's kind of what we're going to get into in this interview today. You know, and it I reflected back here on what we do at Radio Survivor. We've got a little bit of the reverse. Our show started out as a podcast more than 100 episodes ago, back in 2015. And recently this year, we made the jump into becoming an actual broadcast radio show. It was always part of our master plan. It was Paul always part of the master plan that, that Eric and I talked about when we first met, I think back in 2014. Um, and we started to plot the idea for having a radio survivor podcast. And then it was this year that the great folks at X-Ray FM, a community radio station in Portland, Oregon, where Eric and I live and produce this show, uh, really helped push us. They said, look, we really want to air it. And at the time, uh, you know, the show could be an hour and five minutes. It could be, it could be 75 minutes. It could be 55 minutes. And they were like, well, we'll help. (laughs) We'll help you get it to the, to the way it'll be on the air. And it was that little extra kind of kick in the butt we needed to turn this into a radio show. And early this year, X-Ray started airing it. And that kind of pushed us to think about it as both a podcast and a radio show and to prepare the show in a way so that it could be picked up by other stations. And it was just a few weeks ago we announced that Radio Survivor is now available to non-commercial stations that want to air it. Um, So if if you are at a non-commercial station, you're interested in it, or you know a station that might be interested in, uh, take a look at our website at radiosurvivor.com slash radio, and you can learn how. But what we've done now is to, to sort of take a podcast and make it also radio friendly, which, which is sort of the reverse engineer of what happens at say a fresh air, this American life. Yeah. It's been really fun. I, I wonder if at the end of today's episode, you and I might, might uh, be able to talk about it a little bit because it really has uh, changed my approach to the podcast in a lot of fun ways. I'm, I'm happy that we're doing this. I think we could talk about it now. <laughs> okay. Um, I tend to really enjoy the idea of um, while still considering the podcast audience, the people that have always been there are friends who care about community radio, college radio, and community podcasting. It's really fun uh, to have an audience in mind that uh, is stumbling upon us and to make sure that we always redefine our jargon and, uh, and always sort of reset the conversations. Like, we're, we have so-and-so as a guest today because we're talking about A, B, and C. That was our plan. Uh, and, and getting every 15 minutes to re- having a reminder built in to the quote-unquote podcast because it's a radio show. Because on the radio, you have to always assume that maybe somebody just tuned in. So it's nice to remind them you're listening to Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein, and I'm here with Paul Reismandel. And we're talking about the fact that the Radio Survivor podcast has recently become a program that can be heard on the radio 
And we're talking about this because um, today we have on the show uh, a guest from a radio station in Bend, Oregon, that's taking their radio programming and turning them into podcasts. Yeah, exactly. And it's not a bad practice for podcasts. No. Uh, you know, and so you mentioned, you know. Don't presume that your audience has always been paying attention to every right, second of your show. They may be walking, they may be commuting, they may be driving, and there are things that take your t- attention away. And, and on... And you know, you, you said how, you know, but though in radio, people, you have to assume that people are tuning in and people are stumbling upon, right? That they didn't turn on their radio specifically to hear Radio Survivor. They just turned on their radio and happened to hear Radio Survivor. And that's the thing I, I often have to explain to radio people about podcasting is that people don't tend to stumble into podcasts. Right. You, you really have to decide to listen. And whether that decide to listen is because you went to a website or you went to SoundCloud and click play in your browser or because you were using your podcast app and you decided to click play or decided to subscribe and have it automatically downloaded, people really opt in. They don't tend to stem, stumble upon. So you, as a podcaster, you can take that for granted a little bit. But you can't take for granted, though, that they've listened if you're at episode 100, you can't take for granted they've right. listened to episodes 1 through 99. And certainly, I know podcast listeners that when they get into a podcast, they like to go back to episode 1 and work their way forward. But I tend to be more of the person that I I will jump in when I see it and jump into the newest episode or the newest episode that looks most interesting to me. And I might go back in time if if it's something which seems like it's captured my interest, but I might not. I, I really and so do. I you really, have to sort of accommodate yeah. all these different listening styles. I really feel like that completionist form of listening is a very 2010 sort of way to check out a podcast. Uh, so many so many shows have been on the air for so long that you might. I mean, they they become they become new things. There's, I mean, pod. It, it's you know maybe I'm wrong, but I've been thinking about podcasts. Uh, for too long. <laughs> That's probably it, you know, and there's lots of folks who are just starting, just getting turned on now who never really thought of radio, thought of audio as an on-demand thing. And are, and I think that that's, you know, for people who are new to the form, that's often the leap they make is to think, oh, wait a second, it is really radio. It's just on my terms in the same way that Stranger Things is television. It just happens to be whenever I want to watch it not based upon having to to fit it into my schedule or clear off, you know, every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. so that I can make sure to get the newest episode. So, you know, it, it's just interesting to me to to sort of uh, chart this change. And I think it's 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 a great development for there to be this fluidity that podcasting does not have to be a silo, that it is not only its own thing and it can't be radio and vice versa. I think you know, although it has its own name and, and, and maybe lots of people regret the name that it's so tied to, to a certain product, an iPod and a certain, a certain company, an obsolete product, an obsolete no product that, right, that, that almost doesn't exist, but that it's tied to a particular, uh, large multinational consumer electronics manufacturer, an um, indifferent actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, that, that, that we don't just simply call it on-demand audio or we don't just call it on-demand uh, radio. But, I mean, the historical accident is what it is. And I don't think, you know, there, there are people who've tried to rename it. Uh, Leo Laporte of the Twit Network This Week in Tech tries to call them netcasts, and that has not caught on. You know, what's, you know what it's actually turning into? They're being turned into pods. 
Right, which which that, I almost hate more. That name's catchy. <laughs> well, too late. It's already caught on. That's what most. That's. I mean, I, I hear in it some every ways day. though. You know, as we as we moved into a generation that never really had an iPod or knew what it was, I think the name becomes more and more generic. It becomes more like Kleenex. Yeah. It becomes more like a Q-tip. If and, and the trademark floats yeah. away. If there's if there's one candidate that uh, that I would bet on to come out on top, it would be radio. Yeah, radio, on-demand radio. Well, or just radio. Like why, right. I mean, of course it's on-demand. Everything's on-demand. So that, you drop that adjective because Yeah, I nothing, think it, the only reason you need the adjective is yeah. so people understand the difference that they that they need to go to wherever they need to go to find but, it, that they can't just turn on an actual radio yeah, but and hear it. When, when this word, when this word that I presume will take over, takes over, there won't be. Radio a, will mean a lot of things yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And it'll mean listening to things. Right. I think so. I think, I mean, maybe that, and I think that that's probably and, good. And where did radio come from anyway? Does radio, you know, does radio still apply? No, but we just all know that that's what it's called. It might not even, yeah. It, I mean, ra- what does radio refer to, Paul Rismondel? It refers to uh, the technology of it being broadcasted over the airwaves, right? Yeah. That's, but I mean, that's not necessarily a thing. And now we're broadcasting. Well, and, and well, if you really think about it, if you're downloading it over your cell connection, Ooh. you are still using the airways. Yeah. It it's is just radio a, technology. It's just different spectrum. It is all just radio technology. Well, what do you think? We would love to hear from our listeners on this. Uh, drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com is our email. You can also tweet at us. We're Radio Survivor on Twitter or Radio Survivor on Facebook. We're easy to get a hold of, and we'd love to hear from you on the line from kpov in bend oregon we have jill Mahler. she is the station manager of that great community radio station welcome to radio survivor jill thank you i'm so excited to be here and i mean first off we'd like to learn a little bit more about kpov and it's a station that started out life as a low power fm station correct that is correct and um, we've had an interesting journey like all community radio stations, I think. Everybody has their own story with their own tribulations, and we all sort of end up in the same place, but by different paths. So um, KPOV, we're located in Bend, Oregon, which for people who don't know Oregon, is on, it's the other Oregon on the east side of the Cascades. So we're not in the Willamette Valley. It doesn't rain all the time. Um, We're actually in what's called a high desert. Um, We're at 30 300 feet or something like that. Um, we'd get a lot of snow in the winter, but very little actual rain. So um, we are in Bend, which is the largest city in the Central Oregon region. There's some other smaller outlying towns and a lot of sort of rural area around us. So we think of ourselves as a rural station, even though we're in a city of about 80,000. Um, Bend was, was is one of those typical Oregon things where we started out as a lumber mill town and our economy now has sort of moved to more of a tourism economy. So in 2005, we went on the air as a low power station. We were broadcasting from a, a, like a 500 foot butte in the middle of town at two watts. Wow. Which <laughs> it's sounds because weird, you have all that but, height, you know, right? Here's clear. Yeah. And, and. <laughs> You know, as low power, mm-hmm. it's you know that's just what you get. And Jill, so. what was what was going on uh, on the radio in Bend uh, prior to your low power FM going on the air? Oh, you know, I would say 
typically of a smaller town. And Bend was smaller at that time. It's grown a lot recently. Um, you know, just commercial stations that played. You know, there were country stations and there were rock stations. And then there were your, you know, sort of um, right-wing, radical, ranting stations. Um, we also have... There's a PBS station that has a translator here from Portland, and there is also a community nonprofit station that broadcasts out of Eugene that has a translator here. Okay. So there was some like NPR programming available, and we're not an NPR station. Um, so there was some non-commercial programming here, but it wasn't locally originating. So the folks that um, found out about this low power movement that was happening, the FCC was allowing these low power stations, um, said we need something that expresses sort of where we're coming from that's not available on the radio and, and a station that serves our community specifically. So, so they got a license, they got a construction permit, built the station, two watts on the top of this little butte in town. Uh, we're reaching kind of the center of Bend, but not a broader area. So I guess they had the idea that in order to serve a larger portion of the community, and also, honestly, to be able to garner support from a larger community to become sustainable, you know, if you only have 300 listeners, you're, you can't sustain a radio station with that. So in 2007, the FCC opened an application window for new non-commercial educational stations. And it was a little bit different this time because I think it was the first time that they put in a clause for existing low power stations to be able to apply for a full power license. We had to meet all the criteria that anyone does when they're applying for a station like that, showing that there's a community to serve, that you're going to serve the community, how you're going to do that. But there was also another bit where we had to agree that we would relinquish our low-power license if we were granted a full-power license. So I, my, my understanding is that we were the first station to actually make that transition mm -hmm. from low-power to full-power. Um, interestingly, there's another station in Oregon, in Ashland, Oregon, who... Uh, did it around the same time. Um, so they, they were, I think we were the first ones to actually go on the air, but they actually accomplished the same thing. Um, you should shout out to KSKQ and Ashland. You guys should talk to them okay. sometime because they probably have a really interesting story about how they got to where they are. So in the process of that, we had to change our frequency. We were on 106.7 on the right end of the dial. I is that I don't know if that's where most of the low no, power stations are. They're all over the dial. They're, are they? they're, they're okay. wherever you can squeeze them in. Where, wherever you can squeeze them in, exactly. So we were at 106.7 and we had to change our frequency to 88.9. We also had to move our transmitter out to a tower that's 25 miles out of town. Hmm. We had to find an existing location where we could put our transmitter because we certainly didn't have the resources to build a new tower. Our station stayed in the same place. Um, we moved to a place called Pine Mountain. And, you know, in, at the 11th hour, got everything together and got the equipment to build a full power transmission station. And we went on the air as a full power station. So that's where we what are. What kind of changes did you see? So as you made this transition, yeah. you know, so as a low power FM station, you said you were serving primarily sort of the center of Bend. And, and in Bend. 300 people. <laughs> is, Bend is not terrifically dense, is it? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it takes up a fair amount of geography. Is, is would, would you say, so do you have a really dense urban core or is it a little bit more spread out? 
It's not super dense. Of course, you know, because you're in Oregon, that Oregon has these land use laws that don't let you sprawl right, too right. much. So um, Bend itself has become denser as it's grown. It's grown, you know, it's grown quite a bit in the last 20 years yeah. or even I would say the last 12 years since we've I been on the air. It, so it's become it's denser. It's fair to say that um, it's fair to say without with getting a little dangerous with the facts that Bend might be one of the growingest small cities around because Oregon has grown. Um, we, I know for a fact that Oregon has grown more than any other state in, in this time period that, that it, we're talking about. So that so is Bend a fact. Is and Bend, because, because of changing to that sort of tourism economy, people come here and they say, wow, this is really cool. I beautiful. should live here. I've observed a lot of retired people moving here in yeah, retirement. The there's, you know, there's skiing and hiking and fishing and all that stuff. It's it's a great, it's a beautiful just area. Sold bend to the, to the <laughs> yeah, sorry, as no. It's okay. So, you, so you moved from like from from two watts, you know, covering you know a section of bend to now covering. You probably cover pretty much the metropolitan area with like a thousand watts. We exactly that is exactly right. We're at a thousand cool. watts, and and we're reaching. There are some other you know smaller cities. You might call them towns, um, Redmond, Sisters, yeah. and then just a lot of you know people living in rural areas in between. There's a lot of farmland and stuff. Um, but but yeah, so we. So they can hear you uh, on the we, road we now. Are, they can hear us. They can actually hear us up to the top of the Cascades, either over Santa Anne Pass. Um, you guys will know this. The listeners may not know these areas, but um, like to the top of the Cascades, wow. people say they can get our signal. Cool. Now, we have had some other issues that came out of that where there's some shadowing from some topography in town and some people in town are having trouble getting mm -hmm. our signal, uh, particularly inside buildings and yeah. And, you know, all that whole thing with what equipment you're using. And I listened to one of your podcasts about that. We're, this is the radio you should get if you want to get your local station. Yes, we're very proud of that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so quite you, possibly the nerdiest episode of Radio Survivor. Perhaps. And people should. I, I right? actually love yeah, it. Yeah, no, we get a lot of positive feedback about getting that nerdy about um, how to, uh, how, what kind of antenna and what kind of radio you may want to buy if you're into radio, if you don't want this internet nonsense. Right, that was an episode with Radio J. Allen, he goes by. We'll put that in our show notes, which you can uh, read very, at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. But yeah, so you, you broadcast online too, though, correct? So so folks we who- do. We do. We have yeah, streamed. Yeah. We have streamed right. from the start. Um, and that sort of feeds into this whole idea of this podcast project that we're working on. Um, we've, we've had an online presence since almost the very beginning. Um, and that helps, but you know, everybody doesn't want to listen that way. We have a, we have a somewhat older demographic, I would say, as far as listeners go. And, you know, some of them aren't that wired in with the internet. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, and something that we, we saw, you know, recently say in the areas of Napa and Sonoma and California is, you know, when the fires happened there most recently, a lot of cell communications, internet communications went down. And so it was all the more critical right. that there was still a strong radio broadcast radio presence there. And a lot of local locally owned stations stepped up. So, so definitely, you know what, you know, inter the internet radio can sort of fill in these gaps. It's, it's nice. It's where, nice. Where, where maybe reception isn't great. Or, I mean, I worked in a basement for much of, <laughs> for, for much of my time when I lived in Champaign-Urbana, so there was no radio reception. So if I wanted to listen to our local community station that had to be online so you know it's, it's all these different ways of serving communities which i think is a great way for us as you as you just mentioned to jump into this conversation about about your your podcast project so maybe you can tell us a little bit like like what is it what are you hoping to do 
So I've been interested in podcasting for a while, and I, I have sort of had in the back of my mind, like, how can we incorporate that into what we're doing? I had attended some seminars at the conferences for the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. And when they had seminars on podcasting, people talked about it seemed to me like more sort of creating a second stream. Like here's a way that people who want to produce shows that we don't have airtime yeah. for can be participating. But what I really wanted to do was just find another way to get our content that we're already producing for the radio out in the world and give people another way to listen. So um, we started a show a few years ago, um, a community affairs program, which is you know, our mission. We don't have news. I would ultimately love for us to have a news team, but um, the next, the step before that, I think, is community affairs. So we started a daily Monday through Friday community affairs program called The Point. It's a half an hour long. It has different hosts every day, and um, they do a lot of interviews with people from the community and particularly nonprofits. And we feel like you know, part of our mission is to help the other nonprofits in the area get them their message out. They have events coming up. They're doing this work, they struggle with how to let people know what they're mm -hmm. doing. So we feel like that's a natural role for us. And as they were bringing people on and interviewing them, um, sometimes, you know, these interviews would come up that we would be like, wow, that's really great. We, we feel like this interview has more legs than just being broadcast once. And then um, we do archive on our website, all of our locally produced programs, but those are only available for a week partly due to most of our shows, those shows mm -hmm. are music shows and the music rights. You can't just keep them up there forever. And then also storage space on the place where we store our streaming mm -hmm. audio um, is cost prohibitive. So, so um, we had, and so we had these interviews and we thought, wow, it would be great if people could listen to these and, and maybe not have to listen to the whole show, just get the meat of what they want to hear. We could have these nonprofits telling their constituents, you know, here's a link. You can go listen to that interview here. And so we started sort of extracting those interviews and putting them on our website. They were a little buried. They were on a page, you know, under this big like programming menu. And then you had to go to recent interviews. And then on the page, there was sort of this longer and longer and longer list of interviews that people mm -hmm. could listen to. And I wanted to really make those more front and center and, and make them accessible. And also, I felt like making them downloadable would be huge. You know, people don't necessarily want to stream. They want to be able to take it, grab it, put it on their phone or their device and listen to it later. So we applied for a local grant. Mm. Um, we actually ultimately ended up getting three grants. Wow. We have some local um, arts and culture organizations that have supported us through some of these things. And because a lot of those interviews we were doing were sort of arts and culture related, we're interviewing local artists, we're interviewing local musicians. And um, so, so, there were three different organizations we ultimately applied to, and we got three different grants for this project, which was amazing um, and allows us to do so much more. But um, yeah, one of them is a local granting organization that distributes funds from a statewide arts and yeah. culture granting organization. And then the second one was actually a county program that distributes um, lottery funds. And they've funded some projects for us in the past. And the third one was actually a local arts foundation that just supports arts projects in the region. They're out of Sisters, Oregon, which is pretty close to here. 
so we got all this grant funding, and like I said, as I, it was, it was originally conceived as a archiving project. We just need a way for people to go in and find these interviews. They'll be on our website. We just want people, you know, to make them really easy to access and find, and you know, the one that they're looking for instead of this big long list, as I said. Um, and then the podcasting piece was sort of my idea. Somewhere along the way, I was like, wow. If we're going to do this, you know, podcasting is where it's at. We need to to make it a podcast, you know, make it so people can subscribe, make it so people can download. And again, with with these just being um, talk segments and no music included, we they can we can have them be downloadable, which we can't with music okay. programming. So um, so that's that's kind of where we're at. Um, we've started working on this thing. We're looking at. It's moved a little slower than I had hoped, but um, we're we're trying to nail down the platform. Part of my problem, this is kind of a side note, but our website's a little outdated, yeah. and we we did to do a full website update, really. So um, actually, what I what the idea I came up with, and I copied this from another station whose site I looked at. Um, we're setting it up as a second site and like a subdomain. Right. And then ultimately what I'd like to do is sort of migrate the rest of our website over onto that platform and we'll have yeah, a new website. That, that's kind of the way a lot of people do this because you need you, you you need to have your website up and working. It can't just be under construction in, in that in that old school kind of way. You know, it can't just all be uh, sort of uh, nothing there. So uh, working in parallel is is often the way to go. Yeah, and I do feel like the way that our website's constructed, I've been looking at some of the analytics and what people are going there for is to, well, A, donate, I hope, but also to access the right. audio. I mean, that's the main reason people go to our website. And if the audio is a little bit hard to find, you know, we're not doing them a service. So I really want to just put the audio front and center and, you know, that way we're encouraging people to find it and they can. And you're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. We're talking with Jill Mahler. She is the station manager of KPOV, High Desert Community Radio out of Bend, Oregon. And we are talking about community podcasting. And and Jill was just telling us about how, you know, you started out sort of as an archiving project to get these uh, local public affairs and community affairs programs uh, recorded and available so that people can get them online. And you saw podcasting as a way to help distribute and make them more accessible to people who maybe don't hear them on the air or want to hear them again. And you mentioned that you, that you were able to go get three grants uh, from local granting organizations to help you to fund this. And, you know, I think for some people, they think they look at maybe public radio and they think about big public radio shows like a this American life or something. And they think, well, isn't it just, it just, that just happens, right? You have a radio show and then you have a podcast. Isn't that just the way it goes? It's the way it happens. So why is it that you, you, you need to have sort of a grant. You need to be able to fund this operation to, to create these archives. What, what's behind the curtain there? Well, what is behind the curtain is we have a very small staff of, you know, three, the equivalent of maybe two and a half people and, you know, a lot of volunteers. But we, we you know, adding a new project to what we do is is a big thing for us. And, we're, you know, we struggle every day with just sort of maintaining where we're at, you know, keeping the quality of what we do on the radio high and, 
and, you know, improving the quality of what we do. And we are just spread very, very thin. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a daily struggle to do everything we need to do. So I don't want this this to be like, here's my passion project and we're creating this thing. But, oh, now look, like we, everything else has, has right. suffered. And I will say that whatever attention you give to one thing, we just finished a pledge drive. So, you know, anything that requires a lot of attention um, does take away from other things that we need to and be like doing. And like a pledge drive takes over the entire station, right? Takes over everybody's it, time for, it, and, and, and not just during those does. week or two on the air, but the weeks preceding and the weeks afterwards, because there's a lot of other work that has to go on. And most people don't realize the weeks afterwards right. because once the station is done, they're like, okay, we're ready to move on. And and we're like, no, we we have so much to do just to wrap this thing up. You have to collect the money. Yeah. You have to, you know, put it all into your database. And, put, and, and send out all and the we uh, have gifts, to, all the uh, premiums. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then try and pick up the pieces of all the things we dropped during that week that the pledge drive was going yeah, on. Some stations, that's so, a staff so the, position. That's one full-time staff yeah, member yeah. is just right. uh, fulfilling the yeah. pledges. Yeah. So we are a small station. We have a an annual budget of about $140,000. And like I said, a small staff. And we do a lot. We do a lot with the resources that we have. I'm I'm proud of, of everything that we've accomplished in the 12 years that we've been on the air. Um, I've been at the station for nine years. I came in as an office manager. And um, when our station manager retired about two and a half years ago, I stepped into hmm. that position. So... Um, which I, I'm very grateful to be able to Jill do Joe Mahler, station manager of KPOV in Bend, Oregon. You just described a situation in which your station is, uh, I don't want to put too uh, fine a point on it. Your station is understaffed. You, you have so much already that needs doing. And yet you uh, were also talking to you because you made a decision to put one more project on your plate. So why, why was podcasting an important step for you to take? It sounds kind of crazy when you put it that way. <laughs> um, we, it's 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 a way to get the information out to people. So we're here to serve the community. Uh, we acknowledge that people aren't always around a radio. They can't necessarily hear things at the time that it's being broadcast. You have a show that's you know th- that's on once a week, and they're really producing some really good information for the community. And I just wanted another way for the community to be able to access that information. And, you know, over a longer period of time, that it's not just fleeting as radio is. And they can listen to it once. And we always tell them, you can go listen to the archive on our website, but that's only available for a week, as right. I said. So um, I just, yeah. And again, it's, it's partly a service to the organizations and the people who are coming on the air that they can you know, get their message out for a longer period of time and a service to the the listeners that there are other ways that they can listen. And I, and I do believe that podcasting is, is a big thing and it's going to get bigger. And, you know, I feel like we should yeah, be part of that. It's an extension of the community radio work that you're already doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, you know, rather than just, you know, saying, okay, we're going to put some podcasts on our website and they're going to be, you know, some, we'll just ask people to come in and create these podcasts just for the sake of podcasting. My idea was, was to, you know, just take that content that we're already producing that we think really has value to the community and, and just making it available to them in a bigger way. I think that that is, you know, a a fantastic step forward for so many stations. And, and, and I think both approaches probably have merit. I mean, not just probably they do to, to both uh, give folks an opportunity to workshop 
content or create content that maybe is difficult to put on the air because of its content or, you know, maybe it can only be on late at night or something and expose something to a wider audience when it might be more challenging or for stations that have a full schedule to give them an opportunity to, uh, to get new folks ready to go on the air by doing podcasts. But then, yeah, that on demand part, because we've really become an on-demand society in so many ways, right? With television, even if you don't really use something like a Hulu, uh, most cable operators offer an on-demand option for so many television shows. You don't have to watch them when they're live, you know. And and in so many ways, podcasting isn't really a, a different medium. It's just on-demand radio, right? It's just it's just right. radio on your terms when you want to listen to it, how you want to listen to it. Absolutely. And I think too, our pod, these podcasts, I'm hoping we sort of peel away that extra portion to make them shorter, like they're mm. getting to the meat of the subject. They're not going to hear what the weather was that day mm. that, that the show was broadcast and whatever other little, you know, p- interstitial pieces are in that program, the promos and, you know, all that stuff. Um, they're just going to be listening to the thing that they went to listen to. That's a great point you're making, because I think this, again, by pulling back the curtain, you're sort of demonstrating to folks, maybe to listeners, people who love community radio and love public radio and college radio, who haven't really thought about these aspects. Aspects, right? And that, right, that weather, the time check, that gets stale. Even the underwriting announcements might get stale uh, yeah. not long afterwards. And by condensing it, you, you maybe open it up to the audience, uh, not just in terms of the, the temporal part, but you give it a little bit more of an evergreen quality, as we call it, you know, in the business, right? The, 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 you give the content legs so that it might be more interesting down the line than it would be you know, than, than just having this expiration date of a week later, but you might also be opening it up to a wider audience beyond folks who, who know about or are used to listening to KPOV on the air. People who maybe don't really listen to the radio so much. You have this opportunity to bring them in and may not even put it two and two together that it's, it's a radio show, right? They might just start to think of it as a podcast. Yeah, of course, we do intend to brand it as KPOV. And I and I, my hope is that if people hear it, find it in some other forum, like somebody sent them a link, oh, you should listen to this story, that they will, you know, discover that it was KPOV. And, you know, there's an outreach piece there, too. Maybe we'll get more listeners through that. Yeah. So Jill Mahler, station manager, KPOV, Bend, Oregon. Uh, how long is have what is this podcast? We, how, did we name it? I don't think you told us the name of your show. Oh, yeah. So it's not a podcast, actually. What it is, is um, it's a podcast network. It's I yeah, that's an important piece. Um, so, so each each show that's producing content for these podcasts will have their own podcast stream, okay. and feed. people will be able to subscribe to a feed. Thank you. Um, people will be able to subscribe to you know any of those. You know, there's we have I would say maybe a dozen shows that I see as being potential podcasts, and they'll each be branded. You know. As their equivalent show on KPOV, so it's kind of like a KP, um, example, KPOV network, essentially. Like it's the KPOV yeah. podcast network. That's right, and I do, and I, and, and to be clear, I, I do see in the future, you know, offering up that as an opportunity for community members to just create a podcast that may not actually be on the air, um, but starting out with, you know, because just to streamline things using content that we're already producing. So we don't have to worry about that aspect of it. Yeah. And tell, tell us a little bit about, if you don't mind, I am curious what you asked for when you sought the grant funding for this project. Like what, what specifically as far as, you know, what's, 
what it was going to yeah. fund. How, and cause, cause it worked cause you were successful in this particular case. So it's, it's decent advice. I would say to someone else who's, uh, trying to, uh, you know, start a similar project. What, what did they like? I, I well, I think what they liked was that we were providing um, opportunities. And again, I said well, this was framed as as an arts and culture yeah. thing. It will it will include other aspects too. But um, that that we were getting arts and culture information out to a rural area where people don't necessarily have the opportunities to experience those things in person. So we asked for um, some a stipend, not you know, not like fully what somebody would charge for web, web development, but there's some money to pay a web developer to help us figure out that end of it. Um, there's some money to help an internal person who's training the hosts to how to extract those interviews from their shows yeah, and then the process of uploading work. them to where they go. Um, we There's a little bit of equipment in there. We, we got a new mic and boom and from a to to make another one of our studios mm. able to do some you know editing and recording in there for like intros and outros but the other part of what was written into that grant as far as what we we're going to spend the money on was staff time which was really key because I'm leading this project and it's taking time away from other things that I do so um that you know it helps us because that staff time is also in our operating budget hmm. and um so instead of it just being a totally like we need people who aren't doing anything else already to to work on this project it allows our staff to be involved in the project as well Jill Mahler, uh, station manager of KPOV in Bend, Oregon, you know, talking about all these things you have to do in the background to sort of make your uh, on-air shows good podcasts, right? I think what you're, what you're striving for, it sounds to me, is like you're, you're trying to make something that isn't just a, a, an archive of the show, which was which just great, but you're trying to make something that really can live on its own as an on-demand sort of, as an on-demand program that, that, that has the context necessary for basically being on a different platform in a different medium. And people have different expectations when they listen to a podcast often than when they listen to a live radio stream. Um, you know, they are kind of uh, different things. And you're reminding me that I, I produced a community radio show uh, now, um, you know, in the early to uh, late 2000s uh, that I ended up syndicating, ended up turning into a podcast. And I turned into a podcast before the, the, the word existed. It meant I was just putting MP3s on my show on the website, which then, became syndicated because Lee Robardis at Radio Free Moscow in Moscow, Idaho said, Hey, we'd like to air it, but you need to be more consistent. <laughs> he said to yeah, me, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll put it on the air, but you need to get it uploaded the same time every week. And it can't be so branded for your local station. Cause I was just taking the, the, the air check turning an MBE three and uploading it. So it was taking me whatever, 15 minutes. So it meant that I had to start being aware of the fact that, it would be on multiple stations and it would kind of have to live on its own and become more of a podcast in that way as well, which meant taking out the time checks. It meant editing out the PSAs that I was required to read on air, taking out all these things that were very specific to the station where I was hosted and turning it into something else. It was extra hours. It's a lot of work. <laughs> Every single week to we, make that happen. 
We have a few show hosts at our station who do syndicate their wow. shows, and they're available on Audioport, and they put a lot of work into those shows, and they have to, they do have to do that. They have to take out all that local content and make it so that it can be listened to all over the country. We have some really great professional shows. That what are those shows? Few. Tell one, us about them. Well, one of them, <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. One of them is called Calling All Cowboys, and he plays cowboy and Western music, and he talks about about it's, he has this whole character that he does Chuckaroo the Buckaroo is the host and you should check it out he does um, yeah he does this whole character thing and he and he plays music and he talks about the music and he talks about the history and he has um, people are still producing this kind of western music that you don't really hear in the mainstream yeah. he has people all over the country that send him their music and he That's plays wonderful. it um, another one is called Ultimate Oldies, and uh, Mike Fisher is the host, and he plays um, oldies, you know, music from the 50s through maybe the early 70s. And he also talks about the music. Um, he has extensive knowledge about this genre of music. And again, you know, these guys spend hours every week producing these shows. And we have them on KPOV, but they are also, you know, syndicated and available and other stations do pick them up. Um, the third one is our former station manager, Pearl Stark, uh, produces a show called Storyland that, where she reads children's stories. It's a half an hour program. We play it on Saturday morning. It's meant to be an alternative to cartoons on Saturday. Um, and her program is syndicated as well. There are no Saturday morning Wow. Cartoons. I mean, the fact so. that you have, I mean, I think it's pretty incredible that, that your station, um, especially as a relatively young station, you have three shows that are actively syndicating. Yeah, it's I, wonderful. It's sort of rare that uh, that any community station has a show that is actively syndicating. But it's, you have three, three and, and, and that's really just, that's just DJ initiatives or programmer initiatives. It's what it they're is, doing on their own. It is purely the work of those wow. individuals who want to get their shows and they don't and they don't make anything on them right. they don't sell them they are available for free you're talking with Jill Mahler. She is the station manager of KPOV in Bend, Oregon. This is Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. And, and the reason we got kind of a little bit went down that, that kind of <laughs> tangent is because we are talking about this sort of nexus of community broadcasting and podcasting yeah. and using podcasting as this opportunity to archive uh, shows, especially shows that don't have music, talk shows, community affairs shows, and make them maybe more accessible because people don't have to just tune in at one time on the air and you catch it or you don't. Um, and, and perhaps even expose the, the, the programming to a wider audience, yeah, I think audience we're all, who maybe isn't using the radio at that time. Yeah, On the episode today, we're also making the case that people at community radio who have a lot on their plate should certainly also uh, dig in and put the put podcasting on that plate. It's a worthwhile endeavor. I think so. I, I do think that I see a lot of sort of third party platforms that are have been a great resource for community radio stations that don't have a lot of yeah. resources. Um, I, I would say another one I'm thinking of is like Radio Free America. I don't know if you guys have ever talked about them. Um, they offer streaming. I mean, you have to have a stream, but they will like rebroadcast the stream. And then they also archive they actually take that stream and hmm. based on the times you tell them your programming starts and ends they chop that out and they offer it as archiving on their oh, well, website. I didn't realize they did that half. I've talked to them a couple of years ago and I didn't realize that they now had that all rolled out. That's really good to hear. Yeah, you should talk to them. Yes, we but should. um what I was going <laughs> to my point was 
my point was that um, I, I, I visited a lot of community radio websites while I was trying to figure out what this thing was going to look like on our website. And I see a lot of them actually using things like yeah. that. Like, here's our stream, and it sends you to Radio Free America. Here are our archives, and it, and it sends you there. Or, you know, they're using SoundCloud to store their content or whatever. Um, I think it's great because I know, you know, there are stations that actually have fewer resources yeah. than we do and are not always able to to have that and and host it themselves. But I'm a, a little leery of driving people away from our website. I, I, I like the idea of having it on our website. And I actually hope that our podcasts, if they go to live somewhere else, like on iTunes, that that will help drive some traffic back to us. People will go, oh, this is KPOB. And that's why I expect my plan is for all of our podcasts to be branded as KPOV and they'll have, you know, an introduction and an outro that, that, you know, sort of say you're listening to this program on KPOV in Bend, Yeah, Oregon. I think that's smart. And, and the great thing about a podcast is it lives on any podcast platform. So yes, it can be in iTunes, right. but it can also be in Stitcher or it can be in Pocket Cast or Overcast or any app that people use to listen to podcasts. And, and you know, I know so often iTunes is, is for better or worse, uh, often becomes synonymous with podcasting. But the truth of the matter is that yeah. podcasting is, is a much, much broader universe than just this one company and this, in this one platform. Do I have to say it? I'm still encountering people today who think that the that podcasts uh, are stored in iTunes and they're not? Yeah, it's just a way to find. Right. Them. No, I yeah. know, but just in case there's no, a it's listener important for people out there, to understand yeah. that. Right. And so as as we uh, as we begin to wrap up here, Jill, you know, I know you've you've just started this project. You've gone out, you've got these grants, and you're sort of making the plans. Are there any early lessons that you have to learn? Either either do this or don't do this, or 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 alternately, are there any questions you have for our audience? Yeah. Because I know that we have some some really smart, experienced people who are listening who might who might be able to to drop us a line or drop you a line and say, okay, here's something we learned and you should know. I don't know that I have that. I have reached out. Like I said, we're a member of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. And I know that we've had Sally and Ernesto on your show. They're great. They're fabulous. We love them so much. But um, but the NFCB has a listserv that all of their members subscribe to. And you can put a question out there and people will chime in with what their experience is. It is such a great resource. So I have reached out to some people. Um, I don't have any questions right now. Um, I would just say, you know, for community radio people out there, you know, see what you can do. I hope that I actually, you know, gave some ideas, you know, how to get a grant, how to, you know, what sort of the vision of it is. And I'm certainly available to people if they want to ask me any questions. I, I don't know it all. I'm still working through the process, but um, I, I would love to, you know, talk to people. And is there anything that you would, that, that you, you know, in these early days that you've encountered that you, that you wouldn't do? <laughs> that you, you decided, oh, wait, okay, that's maybe something that we did and maybe we shouldn't or, or in the sort of the planning you realize, wow, we thought we should do this, but as it turns out, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, so that was really that thing of, you know, sort of envisioning it as an archive. And I started, you know, Googling community radio audio archives, and I found these really clunky sort of tables and just really old-fashioned So like a table, like almost like an Excel spreadsheet full of file names and stuff like that. Yeah, and a link that you could download and a link that you could listen live. And it just looked like it was something from, you know, a previous decade. And honestly, you know, as community radio, that's kind of where we all live to some extent where it's hard to keep up. You're just trying to do what you do. And if you have a website, 
great. And if, if you can get these things on your website, great. But I would just wanted to be more forward thinking. And that's why the idea of a podcast. And then also the idea that what I've learned is that our website is outdated. I didn't want to just shoehorn this new thing into the old website. I, we're starting with another platform, a separate website, if you will. It's a subdomain. Um, just to make it like people go there and there it is. This is that audio you're looking for and it's not buried in our website. So I've, what I've created is like this longer term project where now we have to think about how we're going to update our web whole yeah. website. Well, Jill, Mahler, Jill Mahler, station manager at KPOV in Bend, Oregon. You've started a project of community podcasting and you'll have to keep us in the loop about how this project that uh, is just getting out the gate these days, where does it take you? in the in the months to come uh, don't don't be shy let us know here on radio survivor uh, we need to we need to find out what happens next I will. When there is something that you can actually look at on the internet, I, you will be the first ones Wonderful. I send the link to. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's so great to be able to talk to stations that are starting out on a project but have like a direction and, and are, are, you know, got their resources together, um, you know, because it can't all be stories of like things that have already happened. <laughs> I think community radio, community podcasting, community broadcasting as a whole, it's a work in progress. Right. And I really appreciate that, that Jill was willing to talk about it with us. Cause what, this is a story Jill emailed us and cause she had heard about our stories talking with Bainbridge community broadcasting, which does community yeah. podcasting and said, Hey, we're, we're starting on, on the way here. And, and she wasn't pitching. I don't think at the time she wasn't pitching to be on the show, but I heard about it and I said, no, let's talk about it because I think it's, it, it helps to woodshed a little bit into, and, and to think about all the ideas that go into these projects. And, and, and it's, and, and the thing about uh, podcasting, right. Is that it is audio on demand mm -hmm. and you know, it, it, it can be, easy to sometimes have this difference in name and nomenclature blur things a little bit. And people start to think of it as something so totally different right. and that it's somehow completely apart. And, and, and yes, you know, I think the accessibility of podcasting in a lot of ways, the fact that you don't have to have a radio station to make a podcast has caused it to spawn its own norms, its own formats, yeah. its own genres in a way. But that doesn't mean that it isn't very, very close to radio. And, and and I would hate for someone to think that they can't do podcasting uh because of the fact that they're doing radio or vice versa right. for that matter. And I think I think uh because of podcasting has uh, uh grown out of the roots that you just described it doesn't sound anything like community radio. So sometimes I think uh, we here in community radio who, who've been thinking these uh, local, locally focused uh, you know, news and public affairs ideas, you don't hear those on podcasts unless you uh, go find unless them in the dark them, right? corners. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the way that the charts that we currently use to find podcasts that other people listen to are structured, you're never going to hear a podcast that is uh, you know, focused on a city the size of Bend, Oregon, no matter how popular in Bend that podcast is. Um, and so I don't, think, I don't think a lot of people who make radio are thinking about podcasts in that way. I certainly wasn't a few years ago. 
that a podcast could mm-hmm. just be for your neighborhood or even uh, your family. You can really you can really narrow the focus of what it's good for and who is supposed to listen, and in that way, um, magnify its power and its importance to that community. Uh, thinking small is a really valuable way to approach podcasting. Well, because I mean, community radio is built on that. In many ways, radio is built on that. Local radio has always been small and it may be in proportion to the community that you're serving. Right. Right. But especially on FM where you don't have the, the history of clear channel stations that cover half the country. Every FM station is absolutely limited at the horizon. So absolutely limited and maybe a hundred miles at most with the highest power, but mostly much smaller than that. Um, and, and, and for most of the history of FM has been, a, a local show and right. And, and, and we sort of always, I think radio listeners intuitively know that at a level and older, always, older listeners, but the younger listeners missed out on uh, functioning radio. Right, But you, is, you know, the difference was, between say, you know, I mean, this is sort of a show that's, it's old, but you know, they, they know the difference between Casey Kasem's top 40 and your local DJ or Ryan Seacrest and, and your local top 40 in a lot of ways, you know, you get that sense or Elvis Duran, you know, different than, than the local hosts or the locally piped in hosts sure. as the case, as the case may be right. And that those are two different styles of radio. There's two different uh, ways of doing it. And I think what we're positing here is that podcasting audio on demand can be local too. And, and in fact, you know, I think people took, put too much emphasis often on these charts, on the iTunes charts in particular, it's but, all we know. but, but because as, as a, as a so-called discovery medium, when in fact, there's so many ways that you find out about stuff like the, the billboard charts, aren't the only way people find out about music, right? Right. Uh, the New York times bestseller list is not the only way people find out about books. Yes, they're, they're, they're big mechanisms, but they're also aggregate mechanisms. They're only emphasize the biggest and the strongest and the loudest. Um, but that in, 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 a, in your own community, you have all these mechanisms by which you can reach people and let them know whether it's flyers, you know, in, in the window at the local cafe, handbills. It can be your local press, your local alternative weekly. It can just be person to person networking. There's all these other ways in which you can let people know that there's a local podcast or local news source uh, that, that that doesn't require that you, that you somehow beat this American life in the charts. Um, and in addition to the fact that if you have a community radio station, obviously that's another way in which uh, you can let people know that you have a podcast. We'd love to know what you think. What do you think about this? Are the things that you're doing that your station is doing success stories that you've seen or do you or or would you have suggestions for what stations or something you listen to or that, something that you listen to hyper local yeah let us know podcast at radio survivor.com please drop us a line we'd love to hear from you um, of course you can listen to this episode or any past episode online at our website radio survivor.com slash podcast and you can also listen to us on the radio we are on radio stations now from coast to coast in North America. Too many to list in the minute that we have left on so today's show. So go to radiosurvivor.com and uh, click on the left-hand side. And you can find the list of affiliate stations. We are a listener and reader-supported enterprise. To learn more about how uh, you can help us stay strong, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Thank you so much to Jill Mahler for joining us for this episode. Yeah, hello to everyone in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for listening today. Exactly. We hope, we hope maybe this this boosts us on the Bend Oregon <laughs> podcast charts and thank you so much 
for uh, spending an hour with us. We really, really Finally appreciate it. Finally cracked Ben Dorigan. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody.